ask you uh, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Your bulletin says Luke, but we're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews today. If I was to practice for the members meeting later and, uh, you know, use Robert's rules of orders, and I was to say, all who agree with the statement, raise your right hand, is pizza better? Yeah, that's the right question, right? You'd say, then what? Right, if I was say, well, is pizza better than a new car? No, right? I mean, a new car, that's awesome. Uh, is pizza better than holding the hand of, of someone you love? Is is Pizza better than when the minister says you may kiss your bride and you kiss your bride there in front of the church and in front of God. No, pizza's not better than these things. That's the important question, right? Is pizza better? All right, maybe I could hone the question a little bit more. Is pizza better than a hamburger? Well, we're comparing foods now. That's a hard question for me to answer. You guys know how I feel about a Culver's Butter Burger I've told you before, Right? It's hard to say, right? We're still, we're comparing foods, but we're not quite there. Still a little difference. But what if I was to ask, is deep dish pizza better than New York style pizza? Yeah, that's the right answer. Objectively the right answer, (laughs) right? Whenever we ask, is something better than something, it matters, right, what we're comparing it to. It matters what we're comparing it to. So we continue our sermon series through Hebrews. We talked about in Hebrews 1, 1 through 5, that the main point of the book of Hebrews is to tell us that Jesus is better. He is better. But it matters. It matters that we say what Jesus is better than. It matters that we show how Jesus is better, right? We can say quite easily, right? Jesus is better than Stalin. Jesus is better than Hitler or Pol Pot or, you know, some of the, we can also say that Jesus is better than George Washington. We can say that Jesus is better than Abraham Lincoln. We can say Jesus is better than all of these things, but, but it, it, it doesn't help us tremendously in understanding who Jesus is. What the author to Hebrews is going to do for us now is he's going to say, Jesus is better, and I'm going to tell you what he's better than so that you can understand just how magnificent, just how great Jesus is. So let's read our sermon text this morning. It's going to come from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 4. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of our brightness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions and you lord laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment like a robe you will roll them up like a garment that will be changed But you are the same, and your years will have no end. 
And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make a footstool for your enemies, a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who have heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is the word of the Lord. May He bless its reading in our midst. The author of Hebrews says Jesus is better and his first point is that Jesus is better than the angels. Now, I think that we first have to answer the question, what are angels? Now, if you're anything like me, you know, my mom growing up collected precious moments. Have you seen precious moments, those little porcelain baby angels? Not really what we have in mind when we talk about angels. Angels are certainly, they are heavenly beings. They appear throughout the text of Scripture. Passages such as Isaiah 6 come to mind, right? Isaiah is, is brought before the Lord, and what? The cherubim, the angels are, are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Uh, in, in Revelation, there are angelic beings is depicted as being uh, surrounding the throne of God and worship of Him. So these winged angelic beings are oftentimes what we have when, in mind when we think of angels. And that is certainly part of the biblical equation to what are angels. But angels aren't just those that are up in heaven, Right? Angels are those who come to earth to accomplish the will of God for his people. They're the servant of the Lord. That's what the word angel means. It's the servant, one who comes to do the ministry and the bidding of another. Namely, in this case, Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. So for instance, in 2 Samuel 14, verse 17, we're told that the king who acts with wisdom is an angel of God. A king, like David, like Solomon, like others, very few others in in Israel's history, but like others, when they act with wisdom, they are an angel of God. They are sent out by God to do His purpose, to do His will. So humans in Scripture are sometimes viewed as angels. There are other instances of angels, however, those who come to earth, such as the, the angel who comes to the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword guards its entrance. Perhaps you can remember back to the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Who is it that comes to his home and warns him? It's angels, angels of light and beauty. Furthermore, as we read throughout the Old Testament, there's time and time again, talk about the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is probably referring to a specific angel. There's a lot to go into there that I don't really want to get into today, but, but the angel of the Lord, nevertheless, every time we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, what are they doing? They're coming to 
accomplish the will of God. Think in the book of Exodus. Who is it that passes over the Hebrew children but visits the Egyptians? The angel of death. The angel of the Lord who comes and visits them. He, he accomplishes God's will to pass over the house of the Israelites to enter into the house of, of the Egyptians. Joshua, before he goes into battle at Jericho where they march around, an angel of the Lord visits Joshua and says that God will be with him in battle. Each time these angels are bringing God's purposes to pass. They are servants doing what God has said. Other angels also came to bring deliverance to the people of God. All right, pop quiz. Who was it that shut the mouth of the lions and saved Daniel? An angel. Who was it that Nebuchadnezzar credited with saving the three children in the fire? An angel. Right? The, the, the angels were the ones who would come and bring God's deliverance. They would come and they would bring salvation to God's people. The salvation comes from God. It's his work. He brings it by an angel. So remember, the book of Hebrews is written to a first century Jew. Right? They would have known their Old Testament well. If I had asked them that pop quiz, they would have gotten 100 just like you guys did. They would have had a rich theology of angels. They would have understood that angels were sent by God to bring the message of God and to bring the salvation of God. And one of the things that we can learn about first century Jews from our text in Hebrews here is that there was certainly at least some temptation or some tendency to want to look to angels for hope and salvation or another message from God. Right, imagine that you're a first century Jew and you think about Daniel. How was Daniel saved? An angel came, shut the mouth of the lion. So what do you maybe hope God will do for you? Send you an angel. God's gonna do something special for me. Right, that would have been, and it's understandable, right? It would have been understandable. But, and, and, and just to briefly reiterate what I said last time, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I think it was Paul for a lot of reasons. Um, it doesn't matter one way or the other, but when I say Paul, I'm talking about the author of Hebrews. You can come disagree with me later. If you'd like, we'll talk about it. But Paul takes this tendency of the first century Jewish people to want to look to angels for their salvation, and he says there's no need. There's no need to look to that. Why? It's because Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the angel that shut the mouth of the lion for Daniel. Jesus is better than the angel of death who brought redemption for the Israelites in Exodus. Jesus is better than the angel who stood guard at the Garden of Eden. Right? This isn't just some abstract Jesus is better. He's saying Jesus is better than the one who brought all of God's purposes to pass in the Old Testament. Jesus is better than all of those. And he's going to tell us now why. And to do this, he quotes Six passages from the Old Testament. Some he quotes a little shorter, some he quotes a little longer. So for instance, if, if uh, Michael here, if I was to go, bum, 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 bum. Michael, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. He, he knows I'm talking about Beethoven, Fifth Symphony, right? Maybe if I say something like, I don't know, um, uh, happy birthday to you, your mind can immediately think to the entire song, right? You can quote one line of a song sometimes and 
and it just conjures up that entire song in your head. That's some of what Paul is doing here. He's quoting one line from a text of Scripture. And what he knows is going to happen is that for the first century audience, particularly Jewish people who knew their Scriptures really well, quoting one line of the Scripture, it's going to bring the entire thing to their memory. They're going to say, oh, he's quoting that passage. And they would have gone to it from there. The first passage that he says is, he says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, the answer to that rhetorical question, to which of the angels did God ever say this, what's the answer? None, right? None of them did he say this to. But the scripture to which Paul is alluding to there is Psalm 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7. You can turn there if you want. Psalm 2, verse 7 is explicitly a messianic psalm, right? Psalm 2, verse 7 would have oftentimes been read right on the heels of of Psalm 1. But in Psalm 2, right, the conclusion of that psalm says, Kiss the Son, lest He is angry with you and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in who? In Him, the son whom you are to kiss, the son whom you are to give worship and reverence to. And in verse 7, he says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, verse, uh, Psalm 2 is, you know, perhaps in your Bible, mine has this heading, the reign of the Lord's anointed, or the reign of the Messiah, the reign of the Christ. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, What other angel, what other servant of God was ever, it was ever said of them that he was begotten by God? What other angel, what other servant of God did it ever say, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you? The answer is none. Paul is saying, you know why you don't need angels? It's because Jesus is the Messiah of Psalm 2. This wasn't talking about anyone else except for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. The second uh, um, passage that is quoted here is in uh, verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he's talking about Christ, right? That begotten one who John 3.16 tells us the only begotten of God, when he brings the only begotten into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, hopefully you have a Bible with good footnotes in it, and it can tell you where that passage comes from. But if not, that passage is quoted from Psalm 42, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. And remember, by just quoting that one verse, what's he doing? He's bringing to mind the entire context so in Deuteronomy 31 verse 30 it says then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel so Moses sings this song he teaches the people through this song and he closes it by saying rejoice with him O heavens now that 
is translated in the Greek version of the Old Testament as angels. So rejoice with him, O angels. Bow down to him, all gods. All right, so who are they bowing down to? They're bowing down to the Lord God who brought the people out of Egypt that Moses is singing about in Exodus 32. So by Paul quoting this passage and saying, does the Bible, or did God anywhere tell angels to bow down to other angels? No. Who does God tell the angels to bow down to? God. Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament. And now Paul is saying, It's not just talking about God the Father. It's talking about Jesus as well. Why don't you need an angel? Because you don't worship angels, you worship God. And Jesus is God. He then goes on and makes this even clearer that there's something different between angels and Jesus. In verse 7, he says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now that is a quotation from Psalm 104, verse 4. You can write these down and you can come ask me later if you would like uh, like these passages again. But let's read in Psalm Psalm 104, the first four verses. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Now who is that passage talking about in Psalm? Hint. It says, bless the Lord. And the L-O-R-N-D are all capital. So what does that mean whenever you see Lord in all capitals in your Bible? It's Yahweh. It's the name of God that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. It says, bless the Lord. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. As he quotes this, he's, made, he's saying something that's very, very important. He's saying that, that God is eternal. He says later that he set the foundations of the earth. The earth will pass away, but God will last forever. God stretches out the heavens. The angels don't stretch out the heavens. They're a minister of fire. They're a spark. They do their bidding, and then they're done. But God lasts forever. And what do we know about Christ? He also lasts forever by quoting this psalm and by making the point that hey angels are not they don't serve an eternal purpose he's saying jesus does jesus is eternal jesus is the one whom angels worship in isaiah 6 right whenever the angels stood around the throne of god saying holy 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 who was it that they were worshiping in john we're told that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. They're worshiping Christ. Why would you worship angels? Why would you look to angels? Look to Christ. In verse 8, we have another messianic psalm, right? A messianic psalm is one that looks forward to the king after David who is going to come, right? To the angels, he says, you're going to be temporary, but of the son or Jesus, he says this, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. That anointing has made you the Messiah, has made you the Christ with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Why don't we need to turn to angels? Why are the angels less than Christ? It's because Christ is the one who is seated on God's forever throne. The kingdom of God that Israel or that Eric has been preaching about from Luke, Jesus is the one who brought that. Jesus reigns in power and victory over sin and death. Death cannot hold him. He lives forever. His throne is forever. Nothing else compares. There's nothing else that compares. And it says he has loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It's just a beautiful statement of what Christ has done for us in giving us his perfect righteousness. Verse 10, it begins with this word and, and that word and there is, is, you know, really it's just connecting that but of the son, he says. So of the son, he said that he was the Messiah, okay? That's great, that's good, we like that, right? But then this and says, but of the son, he also says this. He says, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now, who was in the beginning? Genesis 1.1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does Paul say about the Son here? He says, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. So not only is Jesus the Messiah who was to come and bring about God's kingdom, what else do we know about Jesus? What we confessed in the Apostles' Creed earlier, that he is true God. Of true God, he was in the beginning. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Now, I know that we're doing an evangelism course in our, in our connect group on Sunday morning, so I'm going to give you a little crash course on evangelism here uh, this, this morning, and it's free, okay? It's free. Paul here is quoting from Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27. 102, verse 25 through 27. So I don't know about you guys, but especially before the pandemic, I used to have a lot of Jehovah's Witness who would come to my house. Jehovah's Witness, they would come to my house, they would knock on my door, they would want to give me one of their tracks, and I would always try and talk to them. And what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, right, is that there's only one God, Jehovah, and that Jesus... Right? Jesus is the first creation of Jehovah. Right? So in their scheme, right, Jesus is less than. Right? Maybe he's a little more than the other angels, but they will say that Jesus is an angel. Right? That's what Jehovah's Witnesses will say. But do this. Next time you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, let them talk to you, smile, be kind, share the love of Christ with them, and then say, can I ask you to read two passages of Scripture with me? And then turn to Psalm 102. And read Psalm 102 with them. Okay, so we're going to start for this purpose. Let's just start in verse 23. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established by you. And after you read Psalm 102 with the Jehovah's Witness that you're talking to, ask them, who is that passage talking about? What will they say? They're going to say Jehovah. They're going to say the one true God. Then say, can you read one more passage with me? After you've read that with them patiently, turn to Hebrews 1. Say, can we start reading in verse 8? And read through verse 8. And read down through verse 10 and verse 12. And after you've read verse 10 and verse 12, say, now who is that passage talking about? And they have to say Jesus. And say to them, Jesus is the one. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is true God of true God. Turn to him. Turn to him in faith. So that was free. Hopefully you can make use of that at some point. And do it with love. Right? Don't bash them over the head with Hebrews uh, 1, 10 through 12. But use it as a way to say the scriptures themselves make it so plain and clear that Jesus is God. The final quotation is one of the most important quotations, uh, one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. It comes from Psalm 110. This was a psalm that David spoke when he said, sit at my right hand, or, or I'm sorry, Psalm 110 begins with, the Lord said to my Lord. So that's Yahweh said to the son of David, who is David's Lord, right? The one who's gonna come after David is greater than David. And then he says this, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What is he talking about specifically there? He's talking about the conquering of death, the conquering of all evil, that David's son is going to come and he is going to conquer all things. He is going to finally and fully put all of God's enemies under the subjection of his feet. Who else can this be said about? except Jesus Christ, our Lord, who conquered our greatest enemies of sin, death, and the devil, right? Solomon was a a pretty good king. He built the temple. But was Psalm 110 talking about Solomon? No. What about Rehoboam? What about all the other kings who would come after? Was it speaking about any of them? No, it was speaking about Jesus Christ who came, brought the kingdom of God and conquered sin, death, and the devil through his substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf. Don't turn to the other angels. Why? Because it's not about them. All of it is about Christ and he has brought all of it to us. Paul then says this. Are not they all ministering spirits? And he's talking about angels there. Aren't they all spirits that are ministering? They have come out to do the will of God. Right? They have come out to do the will of God, sent for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. If you want to know what an angel is, that's the verse right there. Hebrews 1, 14. Angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. That is Angels were sent for us. 
angels were sent to bring about God's salvation. They were sent to serve us as those who will inherit God's salvation. And if that's what angels are for, why would we look to them? Why would we turn to angels? Why should we turn to lesser things whenever Christ, the one who came and brought us our salvation, has come? Do not look to angels who are servants of the Lord. Look to the Lord who sent the angels. And look to Christ, who all of these Old Testament passages and more are pointing us to. Not an angel. Not someone who was going to come and serve the Lord, but Christ who came and is the Lord and is, Christ, and is God's Messiah. Chapter 2 begins with this word, therefore. And, and, and that word is, is connecting what he's about to say with what he just said, right? If angel, if Christ is better than the angels, right? If Jesus is the one whom all these Old Testament passages are about, and if Jesus is the one who's going to bring about God's kingdom, if Jesus is true God, if Jesus does reign forever and ever, if Jesus cannot be held by death, if that's true, then therefore, he says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Church, the, what, what Paul wants us to understand and what we have to understand is that it is of vital importance that we pay attention to the word of God that we hear preached from this pulpit. I don't say that so that you'll think that I'm really great. I don't say that so you'll be like, hey, yeah, Clayton, great job this morning. I say that Because the scriptures tell us that if we don't pay attention and if we don't pay close attention and if we don't heed the word of God, then we will fall and we will drift away. And that is an issue of our souls. That has to do with our eternal fate. Not paying attention to the gospel doesn't mean that you're not as smart or maybe not as educated or theologically astute. Not heeding the message of the gospel means that you will spend eternity separated from him. You will drift away from him. Paul says, pay close attention to the message of the gospel. Hear the word of Christ. Take it. Try and apply it to your lives. Stir it in deep. Pay close attention. Then he says, for since the message declared to us by angels proved reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. He's saying that if we, if we reject the message of God, the message of God first declared by the angels, that is the message in the Old Testament, and if we neglect it now, after the coming of Christ, namely the message of the New Testament, if we neglect that message, then we will miss out on salvation. We will not escape the wrath of God. There is no hope for escape from the wrath of God if we neglect the message of salvation. That means we cannot take the message of the gospel lightly. We cannot take our sin lightly. We have to take it. We have to hear it. We have to grieve over our sin. We have to rejoice in the gospel. We have to hear it and we have to seek to heed it because if we neglect it, then we neglect a great salvation. Neglecting the message is neglecting what the message is about. Paul then says it was declared at first by the Lord what was that message 
that we must pay close attention to. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Here, Paul is giving us this this really amazing summary of a theology of the Bible, right? A theology of the Bible. What is happening in our Bible? What was happening when God gave us the Bible? Well, one, he tells us that the message of the angels proved reliable, right? Jesus is better than the angels, right? But their message, their message that God was going to come and save was still reliable. I don't know how many of you guys have, have cooked a Thanksgiving turkey before, right? Whenever you go to the, the, the supermarket, you can come to Trader Joe's and buy your turkeys. Whenever you buy that turkey, right, what does it have in it? It, it, it has that little, like, plastic or metal clip that holds the, the legs together. Um, and, and some whole chickens have that too. Have you ever taken that off and tried to bake your turkey? What happens? It, it doesn't cook, right, because it opens it up and, and the temperature doesn't get right and then the, the inside of the bird isn't done. Like, like you have to have that thing on there, right? If you're going to cook your turkey, you've got to have that little metal clip holding the legs together. But whenever you pull that turkey out of the oven and you sit down with your family, you know, you're fighting over the drumsticks maybe. I like the dark meat. I'm like, I want that dark meat. Some of you are like, no, I want the white meat. Who at the Thanksgiving table is like, give me that metal clip. That looks good. No, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Now, it's important. You don't get to eat the turkey without it. You've got to wait a lot longer. That's the angels. They're holding things together. Right? They're, they're bringing us the message of God. But Christ has come, and we're not fighting over the metal clip anymore. Give me the drumstick. You were, you were uh, Brenda, you were nodding for white meat. Is that right? Okay, you can have the white meat. I'll take the drumstick, right? We're not fighting over the clip. We want the message of salvation that comes through Christ. Now, what that means is that we need to pay close attention to the Old Testament. We need to be reading it, and we need to be seeking to understand it. But we don't read it and say in here, how can an angel save me? Where can I find salvation? Unless we then ask the question, or answer it rather, with the answer, salvation comes from Christ. The turkey is done. Let's feast. He then tells us that God bore witness to the message of Christ through signs and wonders. That's what we've been looking at in the book of Luke, right? There's been miraculous healings. There's been uh, miracles that have been done by Christ to say, hey, I am the Messiah. I've been reading through the book of Acts. Um, I I, I turned the Bible on to have it read to me through esv.org. It's a great, great tool. Got that from Amy. And, And I've been reading Acts in the mornings as I'm getting ready. And just to hear the work of the Holy Spirit by giving miracles. And why did he give miracles? Why were those things happening? To bear witness to the gospel. It wasn't so that we can all have our own little miracle that we get. It wasn't so that we can all have our own little guardian angel making sure that you know, we get this work safe. Okay, God, send me a guardian angel when I drive on I-80 because you know it's crazy. No. No. Those were given to bear witness to the gospel. You don't need anything else. You have the gospel of Christ. So pay close attention to the message you have heard.
So Jesus is better than angels. And if Jesus is better than angels, then we need to pay close attention to the message of Christ given to us in the gospel. So what's our application from Hebrews 1, 5 through 2, 4 this morning? Well, I think that there's a few. And the first that I would say is this. Read the Bible as a whole. Right? That little page that says, you know, New Testament, Old Testament. I think I've said this before. If I had one wish from a genie, what I would do is I would wish that every Bible ever printed in the world, it would not say Old Testament and New Testament, but it would say God's promises given and God's promises fulfilled because that's what's happening. Read the Bible as a whole. Read the Old Testament as saying, God, what have you promised to us? And read the New Testament as saying, God, what have you done for us? Because whenever you do that, you begin to see good theology and a good understanding of the gospel isn't, oh, Jesus is better than Dr. Oz. No. Jesus is better than the angels. Why? Because he accomplished a great salvation for us. So when you read the New Testament, read it trying to understand what was going on in the Old. Whenever you read the Old Testament, read it and try and understand how the New Testament sheds light on it and how what happens in the New Testament is the fulfillment of it. And it will enrich your Bible studying. Further, seek to read the, the, the Bible and see the gospel on every single page. It is there. The gospel is that God has saved us. And we know that God has saved us in Christ. Look through it. And read the Bible and seek to see the gospel. When you read the Bible with others, seek to take the gospel out of it and and, and apply it to each other's lives. The last thing is to pay attention so that you do not drift away from the, the gospel. So that certainly means actively engaging with sermons, listening to sermons, uh, being a part of some of our Bible studies and trying to take what you hear there and paying attention to it and work it into your life. But I think that something that we have to do, if we're going to take Paul's message here in Hebrews seriously, is we have to make church attendance a priority. I care about church attendance not because I get paid more if there's more people here. You know, Eric, Israel, I, you know, the staff here at Brainerd, we don't get paid per capita, you know, here in the church. The reason why we want every member here, the reason why we want people attending and attending weekly is because, as Paul said, if we neglect the message of the gospel, our souls are at stake. We will not escape And if you are not here with us, if you are not singing gospel songs, if you are not taking the Lord's Supper, if you are not hearing the word preached and the gospel taken from Scripture and applied to our lives, chances are you're neglecting that message of salvation because you're not hearing it. Isaiah tells us that faith comes through hearing and hearing through preaching. That's why we want you here. It's not because I think that I'm a great preacher. It's not because I think that, that, you know... I want, you know, this room busting to the seams, even though that would be great. I want you here because I care about your soul. I want you to hear the gospel, and I want you to internalize the gospel. I want you to pay close attention to the message that Jesus is better, that he offers a full salvation, that it's completed by the work he has done. Because if we don't, then we neglect the gospel. And if we neglect the gospel then we are much to be pitied. We are much to be pitied because we will stand under the just judgment of God.
Deep dish pizza is the best pizza. I mean, it's hard to imagine how you could get more cheese and meat and sausage and peppers on that thin, flat New York style. I mean, deep dish pizza is like eschatologically realized pizza. Pizza was born to be deep dish pizza. Why would you go get New York style? Why? When you can go to Lou Malnati's, you can go to Giordano's, Gino's East, you can get the real thing. Church, there's a lot of ways that the world is going to tell you you can have something better. You might even be tempted to look to you know, pop Christianity, to look for our angel, to look for that way that God's going to give us something special. We don't need anything else special because we have Christ. We have Christ. The entire Bible is about him. The entire Bible tells us what he was going to do and how he has done it through his death on the cross and his resurrection on our behalf. May we not neglect this message of salvation, but may we cling to it firmly. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you that through it you speak to us. We thank you that through us you have given us a message of salvation. You have given us a better message that Christ has come. Dear Father, I pray that you will help us to read our Bibles well. Help us to read the Old Testament. Help us to read the Bible and not say, you know, how, how does this help me live a better life? Help us not to read it and, and look for any answer other than How does this point me to Christ? How does this carve into my soul the word of Christ even deeper? Dear Father, I pray that you will also help us to be a church that pays close attention to the message of the gospel, to the message of Christ. And that because we care about that, we will seek to encourage one another. As Hebrews says later, encourage one another to gather together as long as it's called today. Strive together in holiness. I pray that we'll see those who are not here this morning and that we will reach out to them. Help us to never be complacent whenever we see someone that isn't here because we understand that by their not being here, it could be a signal about the eternal fate of their soul. Father, help us to pursue those who are are not in attendance with us regularly. Not to guilt them, but to say we desire you to hear the gospel preached. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of preaching and, and that you take small things and small efforts and, and do with them great things. And I pray that that is what you will do with the preaching of your word this morning. We ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.